0: Thank you. Welcome to this second special episode of The Weekly. This is our special follow-up on Paul's instruction to parents and children in Colossians chapter 3. Today we'll talk about provoking or exasperating our children and how that relates to discipline and instruction. So by way of recap, uh, what we decided was that it would be helpful to take a few episodes of the podcast and devote it to the topic of parenting. We said we wanted to be helpfully specific, but not meddling and nitpicky. We wanted to provide some language and some categories to think within, but at the same time, you know, leave some of this up to the wisdom that each unique situation necessitates. We released the first of these two episodes on Monday. If you haven't listened to that yet, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that one. It hits on some of the preliminary stuff we're not going to spend as much time on in this episode. Uh, and, and today, as I said, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, Paul's worries in Colossians 3.21 about fathers not provoking our child to anger or other translation and say not exasperating our children. Now I said this in the last episode that I would I would I would literally rather talk to anyone about anything else. How much money you make, how you feel about politics, than parenting. And that's not because the Bible's silent. No, we said it's because we love our children as we should, very passionate about this topic, but also because we can have a little bit of pride wrapped up in this topic. So by God's grace, may we be Graciously confronted with our limitations on this issue, and uh, may we have the honesty to to just kind of assess reality, assess kind of where we're at, and and have the humility to learn as parents, as as young parents. I would imagine the vast majority of us listening to this are either young parents or uh, just getting started and thinking about family. Uh, Let me also reiterate something I said last week that I I don't hold myself out as some kind of pro on this by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Rather, it's our intent to think biblically about these issues. And also, I'm just kind of presenting a best of compilation of of ideas that I have stolen from uh, particular mentors and things that have been helpful to me along the way. So a lot of this has just been really impactful for me and helpful for me. Uh, I'm really, really eager to share it with you. and, And by God's grace, you know, may be helpful to your family. And don't hear me I'm I am no Doctor Dobson or something like that. Don't don't hear that at all. Uh, and then one final comment. I said this uh, last time as well. Uh, there, there's no such thing as perfect parents. If we're looking to like guarantee an outcome, to ensure like what are the five things I need to make sure that I do so that my child is not a lunatic? I, I have nothing for you there. Uh, ultimately, our job is to be faithful and to be biblical and to do our best to uh, disciple our children and send them out into the world. So, uh, with those things being said, uh, let's get rolling. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, in the parallel passage, Paul writes, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now what I find interesting here that's included in the Ephesians passage that Paul doesn't get to in the Colossians passage is, is that he provides the, uh, he kind of gives the negation in Colossians 3 when he says, fathers, don't provoke your children because you will ultimately discourage them. But then he provides the alternative, what you ought to be doing instead of provoking your children. You should be disciplining and instructing your children. All right, so in just a second, we're going to hit on what discipline instruction means, and then we're going to hit on some specific ways that we can provoke our children, sort of contra to, to the, the process of disciplining and instructing our kids. So the first thing to just realize is that creatures are, uh, humans rather, are creatures that were made to be disciplined and instructed by something. We are, we're like creatures that the Lord made, uh, like eager to receive formation and discipleship. All right, so that, that means, and that, that's true for all of us, that's that's true for you as an adult, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord, you are, you are being formed and discipled. Um, and so this is true of our children as well, and so if we ignore this passage, if we don't take Paul's words here seriously, it doesn't mean that nothing happens. Rather, it means our children are being formed and disciplined and and instructed uh, by something other than us. Something other than us probably means that our children are being malformed into the image of something other than us, the parents who uh, are concerned about their well-being physically, emotionally, spiritually, parents that are concerned about raising them into disciples of Jesus. Now at TCGS we love to talk about discipleship, and one of the things that we like to say is that discipleship is not about putting peop, uh, events on your calendar, rather, but putting people under your calendar. Surely, if you've listening, if you listen to this, you've, you've heard us say that before. And so, parents, I, I would say you're hard pressed to find anyone who is on your calendar more than your kids. Like they're probably on your calendar more than, uh, if you're honest, you would like them to be, and definitely earlier in the morning than you would like them to be. So, so discipling. Um, very much related to discipline and instruction is about bringing others into what you're already doing. All right. So if, you, if you're thinking about Paul's admonition here to discipline and instruct your child and you're freaking out about like, when on earth do I have time for that? I'd say the good news is that you have plenty of time for that because there's, there's not much that you do that you cannot include your children in on. For instance, dishes. You do dishes, presumably multiple times a week. Well, that is a, a, a great opportunity to invite our kids onto what we're already doing in order to, in that setting... As we're doing the dishes, provide discipline and instruction to sort of chatter about the things of God, chatter about the gospel, chatter about what it means to just be a human. Uh, you can invite your kid, come come help mommy do this, uh, come come help me load all of the forks, make sure it's pointing the right way, load all of the forks into the dishwasher. The chances of you breaking something are really high, but it's, it's worth it, because this is ultimately about helping your child blossom into a follower of Jesus, or you're doing laundry. Uh, sure, they're, they're not going to fold the towel the right way. They're, they're gonna, When they're transitioning the thing from the washer into the dryer, they're going to drop stuff. They're probably going to lose a sock or two. The socks are going to be lost anyway, so you might as well invite your children in on that. Uh, the grocery store, you can, you, as you walk the aisles of the grocery store, you could talk about Genesis 1 and how apples and peaches and plums and pineapples and all of these things were God's idea. Or even when you visit with people, um, you, you can invite your kids in on those interactions and through that you can teach them how to interact with adults. Now, when you're at church and someone says to your child, hey, bud, how are you? And your child hides behind your leg, you can say, no, 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 that's not proper. That's not what it looks like to love our neighbor. What it looks like to love our neighbor is even if we're shy, is to speak back. We can disciple our kids in all of these moments. All of these moments are opportunities for discipleship or or discipline and instruction, to use Paul's language from Ephesians 4. We teach them how and why uh, we do the things that we do and how to behave in the context that we find ourselves in, and we chatter about Jesus all along the way. It's also important to point out that discipline and instruction are formative, not just um, uh, reactive. They're they're formative uh, disciplines. It's about uh, helping, kind of, proactively develop our children into adults, into fully formed followers of Jesus. Just teaching them how to be in the world. But there are obvi- obviously, when it comes to parenting, there is a corrective element to this. That's probably what you think of when you hear the word discipline. You think of responding to a child's disobedience. And that's, you know, obviously within the parameters of what Paul's thinking about here in this passage. So discipline does frequently involve the correction of bad behavior. Uh, And it's important that it's said that way, that discipline for bad behavior is correction. Because discipline, it's not about punishment. It's not about laying the boom on our kid for inconveniencing us. It's rather an intervention. It's like a course correction. You know when you're driving, on um, you're using your Google Maps and you're trying to get to that thing on the other side of town, and you think that you know a shortcut, and you start to take that shortcut, and then all of a sudden your GPS starts to freak out at you, like um, uh, rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. It's kind of the idea here is like we we see our children maybe a a pattern of behavior, or we see our child decide to um, make one particular decision. Well, it's part of our responsibility and part of the Lord's grace to them that there are parents there who can provide a course correction to where they're headed. It's like, we love you too much to allow you to persist in self-ruin. We love you too much not to intervene, Intervene, and so we discipline. And this is key because we think of discipline as something that is restorative and instructive, right? Discipline is not fundamentally punishment. Discipline has an eye to the future more than it does the past. So discipline and instruction is about pointing our children in the direction that they are to go. Again. Psalm 127 describes them as arrows, and the goal of arrows is to send arrows. So we're forming people, those who will, Lord willing, one day be disciples of Christ, who live good, beautiful, true human lives, who love God above all else. That's that's who we want to send out into the world with a fully formed understanding of their place in God's world as God's children. Uh, there's formal elements to this. You know, we, we go to church as a as uh, as a family. We go to church, and there's some formative discipline and instruction that takes place there, um, the, the the wonderful work that our children's ministry does, uh, the uh, resources provided to the older kids, and our worship service, like going to church, is kind of a, a formal bit of this discipline and instruction. Uh, in addition to going to church, you, you have family worship, where you read the Bible at home. Um, you, one thing that we like to do is, if it's June uh Sixth, for instance, we like to read a couple of verses from Psalm Six and just talk about it. And then we sing a hymn, we sing something like the doxology, and then we, we pray to the Lord. We thank Him for Legos, we thank Him for this friend, that friend, that grandparent, and then thank Him for Jesus. That's family worship, a piece of our uh, sort of formal discipline and instruction of our kids. But there's also all of these little informal interactions that we are having all the time, that we're having as we uh, do the dishes, that as we as we take care of the laundry. Uh, as we ride from point A to point B, where we process the small things and help them to kind of think through the things that they need to be thinking through. Uh, they, they should be sharing because they love their brother or their sister more than their toys, for instance. We recognize that our children are being discipled, instructed, and formed whether we like it or not, and whether or not we are the ones doing it. and So we, we want to be intentional about that, and we want to take up the cause of forming our children and be proactive there and directing them towards Jesus and all we do by the grace of God because we recognize if we don't, someone or something will. Now Paul says that the opposite of Raising your child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is provoking your child or exasperating your child. All right, so what does that mean? What does it mean to provoke our child to the point of discouragement? So as, as, as I was thinking about this, I thought it'd be helpful to, to say the other way around, to say here are 10 surefire ways to discourage and provoke your children. All right, so I'm, I'm going to list 10 ways to, to to provoke your child, to discourage your child. All right, so to be clear for the Amelia Bedelia types out there, I'm, I'm going to say it kind of backwards. So I mean the opposite of what I'm about to say, all right? So first, the first way to be sure that you exasperate your child is that you do not respect your child. In other words, you make a command to the child, the, the uh, example that we used in the previous episode was tying your shoes, you make a uh, command of that child and the expectation as, as it ought to be is that they listen right away, all the way, in a happy heart. But sometimes we might make that command when they are, when they are in the middle of something. Um, a little project with their toys, the middle of a coloring sheet, maybe it's the middle of Curious George, and they would really like to finish what they've started. And and if we kind of take the golden rule and apply it here, we we understand how frustrating that can be, to be interrupted in the middle of something. So it's good for us to take that into account. Okay, so are are they in the middle of something that I could be interrupting? Will it be frustrating for me to cut them off right now? Um, Maybe I could tell them to come uh, put on their shoes once they arrive at a stopping point with that particular project. Now, to be clear, when you tell them, when you give them a command, they are obliged to come. And they are, they are obliged to come right away, all the way with a happy heart. And sometimes, you know, you're going to be in a crunch. And sometimes they just got a deal, right? And that's, that's the case for you as well as an adult. But there's no need to unnecessarily frustrate our kids by not respecting when they might be in the middle of something. They're people. They're not minions. They're not there to do our bidding. So sometimes it's worth just like pausing and saying, like, are they in the middle of something? Can I, Can I give them a little bit of a break before I issue this command to them? Uh, so, first, do not respect your child. The second thing, the second surefire way to discourage them and provoke them is to discipline them, but never instruct them. Now, here's what I mean by this. Let's say your child disobeys. Your child does not put on shoes. Um, you punish that child, or, or or more accurately, you correct that child, and that's it. There's no unpacking of the why behind the disciplinary, disciplinary act. There's no explanation. It's just a quick, angry cut it out kind of response with no teaching. Now, it's important to always tease that out as best as we can. You know, what did you do wrong? What did we expect? What did mommy, daddy expect? What, what's the proper way to behave in this scenario? Who do you need to apologize to? Um, otherwise, we, m- we may find ourselves in a scenario in which a kid feels like he didn't have a chance. He's like, I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know what was sp- uh, uh, expected of me. I just was kind of doing this thing and then bam, it happened. So we want to be sure that when we discipline, we provide instruction to that. The third way is that we instruct, but we do not discipline. This is a surefire way to provoke our child. Like, let's say your child is a biter. He or she decides that he's going to chomp on little Timmy. And so we say, don't, no, don't bite. That hurts. Would you like it if someone bit you? No way. And then we pat him on the head and send them to the buffet line of all the other kids in the class. (laughs) It's good and necessary to provide instruction on that. It's like, yes, your child needs to be told... We're not biting. But if there's never any consequences for biting, the kid's going to keep biting. Corrective discipline is its arresting, right? It, it stops the kid in his tracks. It is unpleasant, and it says, what you did is not acceptable. And so if we instruct and we don't discipline, there's no visceral consequences, we might say. They'll keep doing it, and we'll keep getting frustrated. They'll get fr- frustrated with us. We'll become exasperated. They will be too. It's a recipe for disaster. So if you want to be sure to provoke your child, provide instruction, teach them, but never discipline them. The fourth thing is to inconsistently apply discipline. So sometimes we discipline the child for jumping off the couch. Sometimes not. It depends on how my day went. Or maybe you make threats. Don't Whatever you do, don't do that again. But they do it, and they do it, and make eye contact, and you pretend like you didn't see it. Or you just fuss a little bit with no real follow-through. The problem with inconsistent discipline is that kids are going to learn to see mom and dad as capricious. As moody and untrustworthy. If Mom's in a bad mood, she's going to correct. If she's she's going to do something about this. But if she's feeling pretty good, we're going to get away with more. Uh, obviously, you can see the problems with that. It's going to be confusing for your child. It's going to make going to make for a um, uh, a difficult time for your child to feel like he has sort of any any kind of expectation as to how you're going to respond. And he he's going to see you worst of all as not being trustworthy, not being true to your word. And it's hard to imagine anything that is more damaging and crushing than that. The fifth thing, the fifth surefire way to provoke or exasperate your child is to refuse to distinguish between childishness and rebellion. So there is a difference between a child being a child, that is to say being reckless. There's a difference between being reckless and being disobedient. All right, so for instance, let's say that uh, your child, she has decided she's going to swing the little baseball bat around your living room. It's like, okay, that's a childlike thing to do, that, being reckless. They're ignorant to all the reasons that they shouldn't swing it. They, they have not yet knocked over lamps and bloodied noses to know that that's a bad idea. So you say, all right, I'm, I'm going to head this off at the pass. I'm, I'm going to sit her down, and I'm going to say, listen, don't swing the bat. You're not the only person in the house. We don't want to accidentally hurt anybody. We don't want to break anything, so that's not appropriate inside. You understand? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, be on your way. If she takes three steps away and swings the bat, then it's disobedience, and it should be addressed as disobedience. But up to that point, if she hadn't been told, she doesn't know. And one of the surefire ways we can frustrate our child is to just always jump all over them for being children. Now, of course, when we instruct and we say, like, look, this childish thing that you're doing needs to be nipped in the bud, and they continue and persist in it, then it's disobedience. But if we don't have any kind of distinguishing categories between childishness and rebellion, we're going to frustrate our kid. Number six, uh, the sixth way to make sure you exasperate your child is you, uh, y- you make sure that mom and dad are not a united front. In other words, make sure mom and dad have very different standards for obedience and different responses to disobedience. Right? That, that, is, that is a guaranteed way to create chaos within your family. Sometimes you see this working out where one is in the middle of providing correction and then the other butts in and says, no, let's not do that, or maybe we shouldn't, or, well, they were just doing this. The problem is, is when one of the parents does that to the other parent, it undercuts the other, it's damaging to the couple, it frustrates one another, and it confuses the kid, who you should I listen to? Where They're probably going to listen to the one that's going to be going to bat for them in that scenario, but it's pretty confusing to the kid. If you find yourselves disagreeing, it's important to work it out together, but it's it's best to go do that over dinner go go on a date and piece together a philosophy on how you're going to handle these things don't do it in front of the kids because it's confusing to them and a kid is going to exploit that thing to death the seventh way the seventh surefire way is to discipline your child in an uncontrolled emotional manner one of the ways that you can guarantee that you exasperate your child is you angrily vent and forcefully punish them You embarrass them. You make a spectacle out of them. You jerk them around, you tug them around, and you make make them feel like a huge dummy in front of the rest of the family. That's a surefire way to build up resentment in your child's heart and to discourage and crush them. It teaches them not to be controlled. It sets a terrible example on, on, on having control over your emotions. You freak out on them, and then you fuss at them for freaking out on their sister. And it's like, who do you think taught them that? We did. So don't discipline in an uncontrolled emotional manner. Be firm, be immovable, be clear, uh, but be under control. The eighth thing is to to provide unclear instruction. I I catch myself doing this all the time. Instead of issuing a clear command to the child, whose children are very black and white, instead of saying a very black and white, do this thing, we say things like, why don't we go clean up our Legos? Or don't you think we should go get in the bath it's not clear to them that it's a command. It's not clear that they're being ordered to do so. And so it's not clear that they have disobeyed, and so they feel frustrated when they're disciplined. It's like, it wasn't clear to me that you were making a command. You were kind of doing this wishy-washy, why don't we, don't you think we should? That For some of us, we, we're just not very direct with people, and for some of us, we are kind of conflict-averse, and so we, we feel like we're doing our kid a favor by kind of giving these unclear commands, but in reality, we're just frustrating them because they don't know. They're not black or they, they they can't read your subtleties right they need very black and white clear do this don't do that um, so if you provide unclear instruction it's going to frustrate the child it's going to frustrate you because they're not going to listen the ninth thing is that you allow discipline to linger you discipline and then you allow it to linger over the rest of the day we discipline and it's never finished we end up kind of rubbing the the kid's nose in it for the rest of the evening out of frustration we bring it up again snarkily it's like we, we constantly won't let it die, and we keep bringing it up, we keep bringing it up, we keep bringing it up. Discipline is to be swift, it's to provide instruction on the issue, we hug, we pray, we confess and forgive to the, to the offended parties, and then that instance is gone forever, just like it is with Jesus. The scriptures tell us that Jesus removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. All right, so when there's a, a situation of discipline, we do what we need to do with the child, and then it's done. Then it's done. We don't we don't drag it out over the rest of the evening and keep bringing it up and then compare him to his brother who doesn't have this problem. We do we deal with it and then it's done. It's dead because that's exactly what the gospel and grace looks like to us. Then the tenth way to ensure that you provoke your child is that you never repent when you sin against your child. Like let's say you fly off at the handle. And you feel bad about it, but you think, I can't own that to my kid because then I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to appear weak or I'm going to appear inconsistent or something. Or maybe you misjudged something that, that they did and you corrected them, but you never spin back and apologize to them. Well, if, if we do that, if we kind of persist in hardness and never apologize when we do wrong by our kid, we're teaching them how to be proud and how to harden themselves to God and to one another. One of the best ways to ensure that your kid doesn't understand the gospel is you, if, is if you never demonstrate it. If you never yourself show uh, contrition and humility, confession, repentance, if you yourself never ask for forgiveness, your child will not understand how to ask for forgiveness. So it's important that we model um, the, the power of the gospel by being really, really willing to repent when we have sinned, especially, especially against our children. Now again, there's a lot there, and there's probably a list of, goodness, a dozen more things that could probably fit in that category. But these are things that I have found to be just especially relevant and, and important things to uh, make a pattern in our house. Again, there is no such thing as perfect parents. Uh, if, if we do anything, um, anything at all in our parenting, we, we have to model humility and we have to model repentance to them. we we're, we're going to mess up. It's important for us to own it, to own it with our spouse, to own it with them, and to ask them for forgiveness. Because if nothing else, we want our children to see humility modeled by their parents. Because it's, that's where they're going to learn it. It's through us. Uh, like I said in the last episode, there's there's a lot more that could be said here. And I, w- I would love to talk more if you have any questions. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to provide a little bit more, uh, maybe some more resource, resources down the road. Um, if you've got any questions about any of these things, please reach out. Reach out on the uh, on our website, tcgreerstation.com, or send me an email, trevor at tcgreerstation.com. I would love to dialogue further. Um, I hope this is helpful. I hope you've been encouraged by this. And may God give us grace as we seek to raise our kids and send them out as disciples of Jesus. Thanks.